Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. What do you like most about our brand? If you were in charge, is there anything at all you would change? What would you change? Those two questions will give you a hundred, a thousand, so many insights of where your customers are at, where your teams are at. It will give you ideas for how you can improve your product. It could give you ideas of how to improve the way that you run your teams. It will also be really heartwarming and reassuring because all of those things that people love about your brand, you might take for granted. And I ask those two questions whenever I do any kind of customer research, those two questions are always involved. This is Annika Wainwright, and she is the co-founder of Two Forks, and they help food and hospitality brands to connect better with their customers by improving their messaging, their menus, and their customer journeys. And it was a great pleasure to meet up with her here in Brighton to talk about Scandinavia and all things hospitality. And in this great conversation, you will learn more about how you can boost your hospitality business through better copywriting, menu optimization, and understanding how your customer journey online and offline impacts what customers thinks about the brand and how much they will be willing to spend. Annika shares some great learnings she had working with progressive operators like Dishoom, Pizza Pilgrims, Hawksmore, and many others. We also dive into what her learnings has been as a business owner over the last two years and what she believes are the biggest challenges for our industry right now. Before you tune in, don't miss out on your free copy of the white paper, Six Tenants of Agile Hospitality, Six Tenants Every Leader Needs to Survive and Thrive in the New Era of Hospitality. Click the link in the show notes and get your copy today. Now it's time to get started. I've been looking forward to today's conversation because actually it's one of those where we really tried hard to do it face to face because we believed it would be a better conversation. Also, it's like with a fellow Scandinavian. So it's not the first time we have a Swedish person on the show, but uh, it's always good to get some Scandinavian energy in the room and connect. And we exchanged presents. I had some food for Annika and she had some food for me. She had licorice for me and I had pulses for her. Um, so I'm really looking forward today because we're going to be talking about food and we're both food lovers, but also we're going to talk about how can actually, you know, how can copywriting and storytelling actually help you boost your business and, and your brand, depending on what objectives you're looking for? With that said, I will uh, welcome you to the show. And again, thank you very much for taking the, the time and the journey down here to Brighton to have this conversation. My pleasure. It's so great to be here. And yes, I agree. It, it helps so much to do these things in person. We've spent way too much time on Zoom the last couple of years, so it's nice to be able to do it together. So if we um, 
should start in the right place. I think it's a bit like more like an intro to to you and your story and how you actually came about, actually become absolutely obsessive about copywriting, especially around restaurants. Yeah, well, for me, it's always been about the food. My grandfather was a fisherman and also a great forager. And when we were kids, he got us really excited about going out, fishing, finding the best mushroom spots. He knew where all the berries were in the in the late summer. And my mother was a great cook. My grandmother was a great cook. In our family, it was always about the food. So I grew up with dreams of becoming a chef. And my parents told me I was too clever for that and I should get a proper education. <laughs> so I went to university. My brother, who's four years younger, went on to be a chef and has just sold his hospitality empire for a lot more money than I probably will ever make <laughs> in my <laughs> life. But um, I'm very happy to have found my spot. So I'm, I went on to study psychology and journalism. I thought if I can't cook it, I will, I will write about it. And um, I did that at City University in London. And uh, part of their journalism degree is, is work experience. And everybody else was scrambling to get a job at The Guardian or The Big Issue. And I went straight to Square Meal, the biggest restaurant guide in the country, and asked if I could work there during university. And they said, yes, of course. So I did. And I ended up spending 16 years there. And that's also where I met my co-founder, Anna. And uh, we worked together as restaurant reviewers for a number of years before we decided that actually we wanted to work with restaurants rather than write about them. So we um, we launched Two Forks and, and the rest is history, as they say. Uh, and Two for Forks, you know, you know, you come with a big love for food. There's a connection in, in, in the family. You say your brother have just sold his hospitality empire. But talk a bit about like where did you see the, the need for Two Forks? And I guess everybody starts with a business somewhere and, and somewhere else. But um, but what, how, what was actually that made you think, well, there's something here we need to help restaurants with? Yeah. Well, when I was a restaurant critic, I used to always write two different things. I, I would write the review that went into the guidebook and then I would write some feedback on the side for the restaurants themselves just because I love great food. I love restaurants. And I was getting to the point where I could really, when I walked particularly into a new restaurant, I could tell whether they would be there in three months or not. And I just found it heartbreaking that so many businesses were failing. So I would always take the time to write a little bit of feedback whenever I'd been to a meal, particularly in a new restaurant, or if it was a restaurant that a PR friend of mine was promoting, I would write a bit of feedback and pass it to the owner. And my PR friends used to say, you should charge for this stuff. You know, this is golden. So I I started thinking and um, when Anna and I talked it out, we used to work on the same team at Square Meal and we decided that perhaps there was space in the industry for a sort of mystery shopper kind of um, product. So when we first uh, launched Two Forks, it was as we had a product called the Restaurant MOT and it was basically a sort of audit of the full customer experience from um, the online presence beforehand, what the restaurant looked like, the sort of walk by appeal, the full restaurant experience and the follow up or the lack of follow up afterwards. And it was only really meant to be an audit. But then people knew that we were writers. So they were asking us when we identified holes in their sort of online journey or in their menus, they were saying, oh, well, can you help us write that better? 
And so it wasn't actually until I started helping restaurants with their emails and their websites and the menu updates that I really discovered what copywriting even was. And it brought everything back together. So for me, I started out, it was all about the food and helping the restaurants, but I also had a psychology degree in my back pocket. And when those things came together and I discovered that there's a thing called copywriting where you can help all of these businesses that you love using the skill that you have as a writer, but also bringing in all of that sort of psychological knowledge that you have from the degree. I got super geeky and started reading everything that I could about behavioral science, persuasion, and how you can use words to drive desired behaviors. Talk a bit about the behavioral science bit, because I think that's really interesting, because if you have, in my view, identified who your, your prime avatar is, and you then start communicating to them, you really need to understand this and actually what really makes them excited or what to make them purchase or come and visit you or really connect with you, because actually there is like some, some deep science behind that. And I know that from leadership as well, it's like trying exactly trying to understand people before you start communicating, especially your core customers. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess the difference between copywriting and other types of writing is that it's very, very focused. So the best copywriting is grounded in customer insights as well as behavioral psychology. So we find out as much as we possibly can about your customers and what motivates them, what objections they might have, what they like and what they don't like about your brand. And then we can use um, proven persuasion techniques. So um, psychologists for years and years and years have been um, fascinated by human behavior and how we can drive people into doing different things. And so um, there are several big leading scientists who have, have uncovered lots of different ways of manipulating human behavior. One of them is called Robert Cialdini. I absolutely love his work. Yeah. And um, they've done loads and loads of testing um, on people and how you can get them to do different things. And what I found interesting coming from um, a place or perhaps an industry where not so much money is invested in customer research and, and how people behave in, in restaurant settings, for example, I've been able to take some of um, those principles that Cialdini talks about and test them in a restaurant environment. So um, there are sort of seven core principles of persuasion and every single one of them you can play out in some way in a restaurant setting. So the geek in me loves taking these sort of bigger theoretical hypotheses and, and testing them out in, in a sort of everyday setting like a restaurant. Yeah, and I guess, I don't know if you ever heard of BJ Fogg as well, which I've been reading about recently about how you actually, you know, change people. He's lots about habits mm -hmm. and because I'm involved in something that is around habits and how you change people's habits uh, or not changing, replacing them actually, and how you get them over from actually making decision as well and how you take them over that line of decision making and the psychology behind that. Is, and it actually comes down to the understanding he says the same, like the, the level of understanding you have of your core customers, the 20% that gives you 80% in your business, actually you have a bigger chance of actually then activate them on different levels of your product journey or your experience if it's hospitality. And I don't know if that you see the same thing as well, that the companies that really do that and invest in that and not only like get people like, you and Anna on board, but actually also really get interested in this themselves can actually transform their business around actually opening more 
units. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's some really exciting developments in tech in particular for hospitality at the moment. So there are companies that will help connect your CRM with your um, EPOS system and perhaps the Wi-Fi you have in your restaurant so that you can start tracking how often people come into your restaurants and you can um, you can tr- you can treat people differently in your marketing depending on how often they come and you can um, you can start identifying when people are about to lapse when they haven't been in as often as perhaps they should have been and you can send communications based on that you can start treating your regulars like the royalty that they deserve to be in your in your venues and that to me is super exciting that you can actually know so much more about how often people come and visit you and and sort of uh, adjusting their customer journey based on those insights is very exciting. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Um, one of my friends run a restaurant and they have like a big, what do you call it, a community loyalty club that has this card. And they um, and, and I asked him, so, you know, or everybody else say they are, you know, shit scared about what's around the corner. And he said... Yeah, of course, there will be some, some topping of the icing, but we still have our club <laughs> with more than a thousand members then, and they will still come. And they've shown that uh, recession after recession or crisis after crisis, they will come back. Um, and it's interesting because he really knows who these people are. He doesn't have like a data insight because it's just that one restaurant, but he knows on that list when they come, who they are, and he actually drives everything from that core group of people. Those thousand people could not run the business itself, but they are enough to actually bring enough business to get through whatever storm you're hit. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's really interesting to look at your customers as members in a club, even if that isn't what you talk about it outwardly, um, because if you can get people to connect to you on a level that people do to a club that they are a paying member, of, they are going to be coming to you more often. And as you mentioned, building habits is really powerful. So um, we did some work recently with Rosa's Thai and their seven rooms journeys for um, their new site in Wimbledon. And it's all about when you have a brand new site, getting people in the habit of coming to that site. So um, there's much more regular emails going out to anyone who's visited, come back, try this now, try something different on the menu and have a fuller experience so that you really get to know your local and sort of treat it as a bit of uh, um, a club that you would come back to. And now you you, you start talking about some of the, the customers work with. And I think also for people to get a, maybe a bit of perspective about because we're geeking out a bit already on the psychology of on the behavioral psychologist side, but also the, the copywriting thing, which is something I really want myself. I want to be a better writer because if I can explain my idea simple, I means that I'm a better leader. But like, could you just like maybe tell people a bit about how do we actually work with your clients? What is the typical you know journey looks and what kind of outcomes is that? Often this because you said we're doing some. We started doing a bit of optimizing menus and how they communicate. There was website. There was the newsletters and so on and so on. But like, how is like the ideal way of working with clients where you've seen the best possible outcome? And I know Rosa's tie is one of your cases on your website as well. Yeah, yeah. So the way I describe what I do, because in hospitality, a lot of people don't even know what copywriting is. So <laughs> you kind of have to paint the picture of, of, of what it is they're going to get. So what I say Two Forks does is we help food, drink and hospitality businesses really connect with their customers and take them on a deliberate journey from first time buyers to return customers and eventually fans and ambassadors of their brand. And we do that through 
A, doing um, a big sort of customer research piece where ideally we'd like to start every client project with tone of voice development and brand messaging development so that we find out what your customers um, really care about, what matters to them, both in the wider world and what you put out as as a business, um, and also how they talk about those so that you can take your company values, the way that you speak and fuse it with how your customers speak and find that middle ground where you, you find the messages that matter to both of you and you can find a way of speaking about it that resonates with your customers. So um, whether you work with us on that or um, our sort of follow-on services from that are um, customer journey mapping and menu optimization where we will go. So for customer journeys, we will look at the full customer journey and identify those key touch points where we can really amp up that messaging and get people to connect with you deeper and deeper, the, the better they get to know you. And on the menu, obviously, a menu is your um, most valuable sales document as a restaurant. So uh, making sure that it does the the hardest possible work that it can do for you, for your bottom line, for your customers, and also for your teams, so that um, it helps people have a better time in your restaurants. But regardless of whether you do all of those three with us or whether you just do one of them, we always, always, always start with research. So we talk about working with um, with Two Forks as a sort of journey in three steps. And step one is always research. We will look internally first. What are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Where do you want to be? How do you want to be perceived? Um, then we look at your customers and what really matters to them. How do they talk about the issues that, that matter to them? What are the obstacles that might stand um, in their way as they're trying to to do business with you. Also, what does the larger marketplace look like? What are the trends? Where are people going? That kind of thing. So it's always step one is always research. And then we do a big strategy piece and we'll take it from there based on whatever goals you have. Then comes the implementation piece. So that could be the writing of the copy, the mapping out of bigger sequences, um, doing rough sketches of menus. Um, whenever we work on menu optimization, people people think very much of a menu as being sort of visual design documents. I'm not a designer by any means, but I love getting my Sharpies out and thinking about, right, okay, what's the journey we need to pay, take people on? How might that look like? And then I present a very rough sketch that um, I can then put into a design brief for a proper designer to actually work up. But I love that sort of sketching implementation. Obviously, the writing of, of the copy itself. I also believe very strongly that um, I'd rather teach someone to do their own copy than to always uh, be the sort of go-to copywriter. So when I worked, so for example, I did some tone of voice development with Hawksmoor. They're a really amazing team and they have so much talent within the team. Um, but I think because they they liked the copy that we were putting together for them as part of the tone of voice project, um, they kept coming back and saying, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? And I absolutely love that. And I would love to work with them forever. But also I know that there's so much talent in that team that I would rather train them to write their own copy. So I've been doing workshops with them, um, really, digging out those sort of superpowers that are already within the team, setting up systems where they can um, work better together and produce the copy in-house. So that's also another one of those implementation things. So it could be sketches, copy, workshops, anything required to sort of get us to the end result in a sustainable way that they can carry on. And I'm very much a fan of working openly. So 
There, there's none of that sort of, I'm going to go away, lock myself away, and I'll emerge three months later with your new menu. Every single piece of the part of the way is collaborative, and we're very open with our process, the principles that we apply to our work, and we teach as we go. So um, I love, for example, so phase three of the of, of the sort of longer customer journey for us is testing and actually making sure that what we've produced is working. And I love it when I te teach people how to test different hypotheses on their menu, for example. You can see once the penny drops and they get super excited about tweaking a tiny thing and making a big difference on a menu. Um, when we worked on the Deschew menu, Ginny and the team there were saying, we now implement a tiny change on every single menu because we're just so excited to see what the difference can do. And that is music to my ears. I just absolutely love teaching people to do better work themselves. Um, and um, yeah, it, it, it helps the work that we do live on for longer, I guess. I love your your approach uh, as consultants that is actually making others better, not sitting on the you know the secret knowledge or the secret source to go in and do it and then leave them in the unknown. So, what have you seen that's really happening with your clients? Because I from what I want to hear between the lines is that these clients have had some significant changes in their business result and also customer experience because it's not just creating, you know, sales is very well connected with a great hospitality experience. But what 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 is it like, you know, some of the outcomes you've seen working with these you already mentioned some really great names, you know, Hawksmore, uh, Deshume, so on. Yeah, well, I think if we've learned anything from the last few years is that um, we can never know <laughs> everything. Mm. And um, when drastic changes come about, the only thing that really works is to really listen to your customers. I'm very lucky. Um, Anna and I made a pact a few years ago that we would only work with brands we really love and on projects that we really believe in. And that has resulted in us working with some really amazing brands who really care. So it kind of comes naturally to them anyway to always be putting the customer first. But when big changes happen, like COVID, like Brexit, like the recruitment crisis we're finding ourselves in, the only thing you can really do is listen and step back and think and really um, think hard about how you can, I hate the word pivot, but how you can sort of move along with those changes and keep doing the great work that you set out to do, but perhaps in a slightly different way, getting to people through, um, like the Pizza Pilgrims guys did in lockdown with the Pizza in the Post initiative, that's been amazing for them in terms of um, getting a wider following outside of London, where all of their restaurants were. As they're now starting to open up restaurants outside of London, they're they're already they have a fan base there already. So although COVID was a really difficult time, it for the people who thought slightly differently, perhaps, and who really took a strategic and deliberate approach to any changes that they implemented, it might actually have been a good thing for the brand in the longer run. And, and, and what you're talking about now, it's also something we talked before we went on air, is about that story these companies have. And also one you mentioned, we've had some of the founders on, on the show, and they have an incredible story. And being able to scale the story, not just scaling products or restaurants, is very essential in what they do to achieve that vision. They all, all have a very clear definition of how the future looks 
um, and they might not get there as you originally thought with some tweaks on the way, but they all want that, you know, everything they do has to breathe the purpose and the value. And I guess that's also what you do. It's, but uh, you can you also confirm that's what you see that these people are doing. And that's, well, that's why that, that strategic work you do with them really adds value to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you have a wider purpose, and particularly if that's something that your team and your customers also buy into, um, it doesn't really matter what the world throws in your face because you will always, if you follow that purpose, you will bring those people along with you on, on the ride. And sometimes the ride can be scary, but at least um, you can go through. So when we work with brands on um, sort of brand voice and, and brand messaging, I think getting that storytelling right is mostly about stripping back to the stories that really, really matter. And so we challenge brands to um, to identify with our help, if you could only ever tell four stories, what would those stories be? And actually, the, the brands that have the best stories, they will only have two or three, possibly four stories that they repeat over and over again. I think the way that we connect so well with them is that we We've heard them many times in different ways. And what we then help people do is take those simple core stories and show how you can tell them in really different ways so that you're not sounding like a broken record every time you mm. come out and talk about something. And people are always amazed at how many different ways there is of sending the same message to, um, to the same audience, but resonating with them every time. And I think that's really interesting because one thing is that, you know, you might tell too many stories or you're cluttering your story up so you're not coming through. But also, I guess there's also the element that some people never get around to use that story. That's actually a great story. I mean, so many people, they don't think their story is worthy talking about. They just talk about the products and the benefits or whatever it is, but they actually don't go back actually and tell that story why they started the business, the change they wanted to see in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're so hard on ourselves. And I've 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 made this mistake as well. Like I'd sort of tell myself nobody cares where I came from mm. or, you know, that my grandfather was a fisherman or whatever. But actually every time that you do take that step up and you tell that story, that is something really simple to you and you don't necessarily feel like anyone would be interested in. Those are the stories that people connect with. I put a picture of my grandfather on his fishing boat on my LinkedIn profile, and I had thousands and thousands of likes and notes and bits of, of like direct messages from people I hadn't heard from in ages. People really connect with that kind of core story of, you know, where did it all start for you? And as brands, I think it's really easy to forget that some of the simplest stories to tell are the ones that get us out of bed in the morning. You know, this is why we do it. And a lot of people will focus on on telling those stories internally and try to drill their staff into believing the same thing that they do. Um, and then they forget to tell the world about them. And I guess in the, in the world we live in now, if we just to take a step into that and talk about stories and the power of them because story gives hope. <laughs> it shows there's a way yep. even in the most darkest hour of time. And I guess, I don't know what your learning has been. You, you touched a bit on before. So one thing we know is that 
probably not going to go as we think and we probably have to tweak it a lot of time before we make it work in, in this new era of hospitality, this new era of the world. And I, I could feel myself last week. I had last week, I had a bit of a... Uh, like a week where there was a lot going on. There was lots of exciting things, but I was also like, I got a bit scared about the future as well because there's so big powers in the external. So it's not everything in my control. Everything is in your control, but like getting that process in. But stories, again, can be some of the most powerful things to turn that around. Yeah. Um. So what what is your like super learning about like you know we take we keep it in storytelling or copywriting behavioral science world what is like your top learning the last two years like leaders should actually be aware about there i think for me the last couple of years have been all about community and i i think particularly within the hospitality industry people are so important to us and when we were all of a sudden robbed of what we love doing most going out meeting friends sharing stories in a pub or over a dinner table we all found ourselves bereft of of that sort of human connection and so it it was quite unsurprising that we all sort of piled on to various online forums. Loads of people did really great work in that space. Um, I started a community called the Food Marketing Club. I just wanted to pull together some um, mar- marketeers and and you know, people from different. Um, parts of that space in food, drink and hospitality. And when lockdown first happened, we just started doing weekly Zoom calls and we were just asking each other, you know, what's your story? What's happened? What's going on? And it it was just a round table. We would spend an hour, maybe two hours just going around, sharing, getting it all out there, all the frustration. Most of us had lost all of our clients and um, there was so much uncertainty. Nobody thought it would go on for as long as it did. But those sort of calls really were a lifeline to to myself included, but a lot of people. And um, just sharing those very basic stories of where you thought you were going, how everything had changed, what you can do, even though none of what we could do to help each other at that time really made a big difference. We were all trying to brainstorm together. How can we help this person or how can we change things? But actually, I think it was just getting together and feeling that you weren't alone that kept people going through. And as we came out of lockdown, those friendships that we forged were really, really lasting. So actually, the reason why I'm here today was you interviewed one of the members of my uh, food marketing club, Dan Nash, who also talks a lot about storytelling. And um, he came on the podcast. He said, you must meet Michael. You'd really get along. And so it's it's these little um, introductions and referrals and these sort of online communities have now blossomed into something that people have taken offline as well and created longer lasting relationships. And yeah, community has been super important to me. It's interesting as well. We talked about before the the club. I mentioned my friend is also a community because, funny enough, I met by being part of this club. I've met people in the business community, and we help each other out. And and and, and I think there's also the element of like we needed more than ever. Like going back to how it was before the industrial revolution. Actually, the community helped to to feed each other and help each other with creating job opportunities and so on. I think actually we, we need more community than ever because like you know that's the only way to create hope and feel you're not alone in all the the madness but what do you think then um is one of my favorite questions to people that is involved in hospitality there's lots of challenges but what is in your view is the 
number one challenge if you had to cut through all the stuff being strategic about it and you say this I think is the in general one of the biggest challenges I know every business has their their way of approaching a challenge yeah I think possibly recruitment is the biggest challenge at the moment that's certainly what I'm seeing um, among my clients and what people talk about the most and that that's the, the sort of biggest threat. I, I know restaurateurs who are being forced to close restaurants on certain nights of the week because they haven't got enough mm. uh, people in their team to, to, to stay open uh, in, the, in their sort of usual hours. So recruitment, I think, is a huge challenge. Obviously, the financial uncertainty, we've had that before. Hospitality has always pulled through. And um, I think we're some of the most ingenious and clever people in terms of coming up with new ways of luring people out of their houses and into venues. So the financial crisis kind of uh, worries me slightly less. But when there aren't enough people to feed these amazing businesses in terms of keeping them open and being there to welcome the public when they come in, that I think that's a, a, a big challenge. What role does storytelling, in your view, play then? in solving some of this, the true story, the authentic story? Mm, well, I think if you look at the brands that are struggling less than others, it's your Deschumes, it's your Hawksmoors, who have always been very public in their internal storytelling. So talking about how much they care about their teams and their team's families, and um, they're always um, storytelling on places like LinkedIn, talking about their teams, lifting them up. And so I think, what you can do as an operator is be more deliberate in your sort of recruitment focused storytelling. So talking about what it's like to work, showcasing your team, getting their words out there, um, basically sharing your purpose and finding people that really align with that purpose and thinking, I want to work with with you. So I think a lot of um, Recruitment ads, they look the same. They all offer the same, like, here's the package and these are the benefits and this and that. They never talk to the person. So as as a copywriter, I focus on um, marketing copy that really speak to the customer. And I feel like recruitment copy should really, really speak to the potential employee. And it very rarely does. So um, I think one way perhaps, well, the, the crisis is bigger than that. I'm doing some volunteering with Hospitality Rising. A lot of my clients are involved with that as well. And I really hope that as an industry, we can get together and make a big change and actually get people to stand up and, and, and recognize that hospitality can be such an amazing industry to create a career in and not just have as a part-time job. Um, but something that you can do for your own organization, apart from joining in with Hospitality Rising, like I think everybody should, but um, what you can do is really think about, do you speak to your potential team members in your recruitment? So in your job ad, in what you're posting on LinkedIn, in what your company is known for. So if you're a hospitality business, it should shine through in everything, every little single piece of comms that you put out there. The fact that you're a people business because you care about customers, that should also mean that you care about your teams and the people around you and the suppliers and everybody else. If that is one of your core messages in your storytelling, you're going to find it a lot easier to um, to recruit and retain um, staff as well. I'm just going to confirm something you said for people out there because we, we're quite obsessed here in Hospitality Maverick to find out why does some the, you know, always 
go through every crisis and come out on the other side as a better version. And you mentioned some of the brands before. And that's actually because, as you said, they understand their customers deeply down, but they also understand what employees needs to look like. What is my perfect avatar as an employee? And you can do that exercise. I've done that myself, leading and growing businesses. When you clock that, which, which type of employees really, really thrive in this environment, becomes much easier to recruit for them. Also much easier to keep them away if they're not the right one because it's really expensive to get the wrong people yeah. on board. Also in this situation, it's not just about arms and hands, which some people said there is an element of that, but also that like, you get the right people on board, attract more of the right people. And I think that's what they've been very good at, the brand you mentioned there. And I thought a perfect uh, example of storytelling the, the last week going live from Honest Burger. Mm-hmm. You know, it it will activate people that like that story about they talk about their fuck ups and uh, that will probably attract some more of the people they want to see and employ um, and maybe also but let some stay away because that's not my type of business. I don't really believe in that honesty yep. and sharing that. So yeah, I, I love that. I thought it was such a great example of actually thinking differently about how you actually talk about your brand, both to customers and potentially employees in the crisis. Mm. Is there any like top advice you would like to give to, to leaders out there about how they could, you know, right now everybody's talking about my sales is going down, but also it could both be the experience and how to actually, what can they go out doing right now to boost the experience? You just gave some really savvy advice on the employee experience and the employee journey and how to attract people. But what about when it comes to customers? How can we get them out of their houses now as everybody is getting scared of the cost of living crisis? I think the greatest skill that anyone can have, particularly in times of uncertainty, but whenever you want to market to anyone is to listen. So listen to your customers, find out what they're talking about. What are they worrying about? If they're worrying about the rising costs and um, their energy bills or whatever, I'm, I'm really excited to see things like the, um, what do they call it? WFP, work from pub instead of work from home. So, you know, clever little um Packages like that come about because um, I think it's it's not Fuller's, it's Young's who've come up with the work from pub package. That that comes up uh, because they really looked at, right, people are scared. They're, they're scared about um, the, the rising costs. They don't want to have their, their heating on all day. They perhaps can't afford a co-working space. We have a pub. We have lots of space. Let's bring them in here. So listen to what people are talking about. Actively ask your customers things. I'm amazed how rarely brands use surveys. Nobody really wants to be asking questions and everyone's a little bit like, oh, won't, won't it make us look like we don't know? No, I think it will make it look like you care. You know, I am a great believer in short and frequent surveys, asking two or three questions at different points in the year, just find out what really people are worrying about at the moment. Actually, contact your customers now and ask them. You know, there's a lot of worrying news on the horizon. What are you worrying about? How can we help? What What would you like to see? How can, you know, do we need to look at set menus? Do we need to look at a place for you to come and have a warm place to work or something like that? Talk to your customers, talk to your teams, find out what people are talking about in the restaurants. What are the complaints they're getting? Are there any surprises on the bill? Um, find out 
indirectly what your customer feedback is by talking to your teams, but also get closer to your teams by talking to your teams. Mm. So yeah, talk to people, listen, and um, try to make every decision that you uh, make going forward based in some kind of insight on what you know about your customer, what you know about your team, what you know about um, the world immediately around your restaurant. That's quite interesting is also not make any fast decisions. Spend the time, even though you feel like you have to action, because I have this conversation with a lot of founders, CEOs, you don't need to make a decision. Yep. You actually need to understand what decision you're making and the impact it's going to have. And it's okay actually to think and strategize and actually take yourself out of the noise. You don't have to make a decision because right now, today, that's not going to change anything. No, exactly. And also sit back, watch, see what some other people are doing. You know, there there are some really sort of trailblazing trailblazing brands like Dishoom, like Hawksmoor, like Pizza Pilgrim, that, that they have this really um, deeply founded sort of um, purpose and leading light. They will always sit back and make a good decision. And if you sit back and wait and see what they do, perhaps there's some inspiration. I'm not saying copy exactly what they're doing but actually there's 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 something in watching what pace they roll change out at for example if 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 nobody from those sort of leading brands have gone out and said something yet maybe it's not time yet sit back see what they're doing see what everybody else is doing take inspiration and and make your decision based on a little bit more information rather than knee jerking uh, from side to side yeah, um, the one question I also wanted to ask you about because there's like lots of doomsday stuff going on. But like, what are you excited about in hospitality? Because you 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 you've been here for a long time and you decided to stay, so you must be excited about. So you must see some hope. Yeah, well, I'm super excited about what's next. There's so much change, and a lot of that change is positive. Positive, and I I quite like to see where are these incredibly clever people are going to take us next you know what's around the corner what are the latest innovations that are going to come around so i actually i'm i'm excited to see how people tackle this next round of challenges in clever ways and i'm sure there will be many of those i'm also super excited about developments in tech that let let us know more and more and more about our customers and being able to make strategic decisions based on data insights. Um, so I'm really excited about how the sort of um, rollout of tech is going to have an effect on on the wider industry. And, and as brands become more and more aware of who their customers are and what their habits are, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the possibilities of, of using that information to to drive change yeah and i really really love that thing you talk about technology because i think the way we approach it and think about it will really really change now uh, as you say as well and how we use it because we will be forced to um for for many and actually how actually we can use that to to lift up the experience and get the right strategic insights as well it's the one question annika you wished i've asked you and, and, and if there is, what is that question and what would you have answered? Uh, perhaps something practical, like what's mm. one thing an operator can go out and do today 
to yeah. to to make a difference. And I would love to advise people to um, send what I usually call my magic two question survey. Yeah. <laughs> and this one works on your customers and on your team. So you can send it internally and you can send it to your restaurant email list. And there's just two questions: What do you like most about our brand? If there's um, if you were in charge, is there anything at all you would change? What would you change? Those two questions will give you a hundred, a thousand, so many insights of where your customers are at, where your teams are at. It will give you ideas for how you can improve your product. It could give you ideas of how to improve the way that you run your teams. It will also um, be really heartwarming and reassuring because all of those things that people love about your brand, you might take for granted. And I ask those two questions whenever I do any kind of customer research, those two questions are always involved. And to see the faces of the operators when you share all the positive feedback of what people love about their brand, and that really sort of reinforces that where they're coming from and where they're trying to go, that purpose is is very much appreciated, um, is really heartwarming. And I would love for everyone to experience that. So send my magic two question survey. Well, we'll put these two magic questions in the show notes so people don't even have to listen to the end there, uh, but they can find them there. But they're very good questions. I can actually see, because also, as you say, I think the most important is get reconfirmed that actually a lot of the things you are doing are actually creating the right thing. But but you don't know if you don't ask. Yep, exactly. Where where can um, people find out more of you and uh, Two Forks and and, and and your journey, your story? Because there's, it's on the website. You you used your story. To yes, tell. yes, there is a bit of a story on our website, twoforks.co.uk. It's the number two forks.co.uk. I should have thought of that when we created the brand, because I'm always saying the number two, <laughs> F-O-R-K-S. Uh, so twoforks.co.uk. I also believe that I am the only Annika Wainwright in the world, mm. so I'm easy to find on LinkedIn yeah. as well. Great, great. Annika, thank you so much for coming today and, and sharing your concept around the power of storytelling and copywriting, but also how psychology plays a big, or behavioral psychology plays a big, big role in building a better customer uh, experience as well as an employee experience we found out. Yes, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Time has flown. I can't believe we're out of time already. Thank you. Annika, what a great conversation about how hospitality businesses can improve their brand and also spending in their business by having better copywriting menus that is optimized for the customer's needs and wants, and also creating a seamless customer journey both online and offline. Now you should ask yourself, how can I prove the way I communicate in writing with our people and customer so their experience gets better? A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can email them directly at podcast at BizSimply.com. A huge thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. We are really appreciating that you're listening into the show. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate or review or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. If you have any ideas or feedback for the show, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, michael at 
mavericks.com. And remember to get your free version of the new white paper, The Six Tenants of Agile Hospitality. Six tenants every leader needs to survive and thrive in a new era of hospitality. Click the link in the show notes. And I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick!